Hello, and welcome to the G2 Podcast. So we're going to uh, lead into our focus today. And as you've probably seen from the booklets, we're asking the question, are you hungry? That's good. I'm glad you're not hungry. Neither am I. Let me pray before we start. Father God, thank you for bringing us all here today. Uh, Thank you that you do feed us, that you care for our bodies and for our souls. Please, would you feed us today by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in small groups this week, we looked at Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 12, and we looked at the beheading of John the Baptist. If you weren't at small group this week, I'm just going to quickly summarize that for you. So the leader, the Jewish king, was called Herod. Herod didn't like John the Baptist because John the Baptist told him he wasn't very good, mainly because he was sleeping with his brother's wife. Um, Herod then decided that he wanted to find a way to get rid of John the Baptist, but he couldn't because most people liked him because they thought he was a prophet. So what happened was Herod was throwing a big fancy ball uh, and his brother's wife, uh, her daughter, for some reason, was dancing for all of them. I don't really know why that happened. No idea either. No, bit odd. Um, set up a grand plan to ask Herod to behead John the Baptist and John the Baptist's head ended up on a platter. This happens just before one of the passages we are looking at today in terms of feeding the 5,000 and clearly affected Jesus a lot. Uh, because John the Baptist was his cousin. I think it's time for kids and youth to go out. It is time for kids and youth. Um, So the lovely Rosie and Gemma are going to... Great. I don't know if you picked up, but Jesus' cousin died, and he was super sad. Um, So he knew grief. He knew what it was like um, to lose something. And I think we all know what it's like to feel sad. Um, We all have a shared humanity. We all are human. We are all wonderful and we're all a bit messed up. And because Jesus was human, he fully gets what it's like to be human. So that's the question. What are you hungry for? What do you need? Like, we all have basic needs for shelter and safety and connection and security and love. And we need a purpose and we need to be able to make choices. We need to be able to create. We need rest. We need to be understood. We need to be seen. We need to be felt and heard. We need friends. We need each other. We need community. We can't do this life on our own. But I bet all of us, sometimes meet our needs in ways that are really helpful and really unhelpful. I know some of you well in G2. And I know that there are loads of us that have got stuff going on in our life that is hard, that we struggle with. And perhaps we're ashamed and we feel like we can't really be honest at church because if somebody else knew what I was really like and what I really had going on or my bad habits or the stuff that I was doing that I know I need to change, then maybe you'd be asked to leave. That is not how church works. So I just want to name some of the issues that I am aware of, and this won't be an exhaustive list. And I just want to say this is a safe place. 
Jesus was human and he knows and understands every one of us. Suicidal thoughts, depression, using drugs and alcohol in a way that's really unhealthy, pornography, anxiety, struggles with mental health, self-harm, eating disorders, sexual abuse, struggles with identity, struggles with how to parent, how to be a sibling, how to operate in the family, huge issues around relationships, marriages, being single, being in a partnership, relationships with other friends, debt, crippling shame, feeling worthless, betrayal. Jesus knew grief, he knew loss. And Jesus knows every single one of us. And he still says, I love you. So we're going to take a couple of minutes just on the first page of your booklet. If you're brave, you can chat. Or you can just think. But just what are you hungry for? What do you need? And how are you feeling? You've got a couple of minutes. Okay, great that you are chatting away, but I'm just going to ask you to pause your conversations. And I just want to chat a bit more before we eat about grief. Um, put your hands up if you've ever lost a teddy, an important toy, a really crucial piece of work, um, or you know somebody who's died. Definitely. Um, Loss and grief is something we all experience, from small stuff to big stuff. Um, and Jesus knew grief. So John and Jesus were cousins. They probably grew up together. But I don't know if you remember, um, when John and Jesus were still growing inside their mums, when they met each other, there was a jumping for joy. Like They had a physical reaction to each other. So I kind of think there was a bit of a connection, like both their birth stories were a bit weird and angel angelic and stuff. So I think Jesus and John were really close. And so I bet Jesus cried his eyes out when he got told that his cousin had been killed. And it sparked kind of a deep, a deep mourning. And Jesus totally gets grief. And he's totally right next to you when we grieve. Now, what's your experience? What's your kind of response to grief? Like, what have you seen in your family or in other people? It might be kind of an active, like, you, odd, you get this odd burst of energy, like you need to do something. And often with death, there's lots to sort out, probate wills and stuff like that, or just get the house sorted because people are coming round. And that's an okay response to grief. Or it might be that it kind of takes the wind out of your sails and you've got no energy and you just kind of shut down. And that's okay too. Both can be helpful or unhelpful strategies. It kind of depends on the motivation. So for me, I can have therapeutic cleaning where I'm doing something because that's helpful for me, but I'm processing and thinking and praying. Or I can have unhelpful cleaning because I'm blatantly ignoring the stuff that I need to deal with and I'm just keeping myself active and not facing stuff. 
sometimes we deny our feelings. We kind of ignore the reality of the loss. We don't want to talk about it. Or we avoid it. We go and do, stay super busy and, and anything to sit on our own and think about stuff. Or we focus on other people sorting out their needs because we can't face processing our own grief. Or maybe, and I sometimes do this, I discharge my anger at other people. So I get too cross at stuff because actually I'm hurt and I'm sad, but I take it out on other people. Jesus' response to grief was fascinating. He is down with the self-care and out of who he is, he helps other people. So he withdraws from the work of healing and teaching and he eats and he rests. He's bang on with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, step one. And also in his grief, he steps into his self-actualization, Maslow's top of the hierarchy. And from who he is, he loves those around him. So he teaches and he heals. And his motivation is pure compassion. He has compassion on himself, so he looks after himself. And he has compassion on those around him and he helps him. Luke tells me that splagnoskomy is this word that is used in the Hebrew that when Jesus hears about John's death and then when he sees the crowds around him, his innards move, that gut-wrenching, hard-hitting level of response. But it's because of who Jesus is, he has compassion and real needs are met. Physical needs are met, spiritual needs are met. He has this kind of like explosion of grace for himself and those around him and I just think this is the best model to follow and Jesus helps us with that so as today into that as today as we kind of we chat and we share and be brave to be vulnerable we're amongst friends chat about what grief looks like in your family how do you look after yourself and how do you look after those around you because actually, you might be here today, and you're going to be that support for the person sat next to you. So we just wanted to share with you how Jesus modelled grief and how he responded to it. Matt. Yes, so in terms of meeting that first hierarchy of need, we're going to start having some food. But before we turn into a pack of ravenous somethings, um, and descend upon the food over there. There's a few things we need to know. So everybody should have plates, cutlery, etc., on the tables. Those are for you to use. You'll need to take them with you. Over... I hope you all have enjoyed that food. I know I did. So I hope we are feeling slightly less hungry now. But now is the time. Uh, so this might take a little bit of coordination, which is fine. Um, in a moment, Hannah is going to lead us in a gospel contemplation, and we will go through all of the logistics that we need for that in a moment. But first, let me read the passage for you that we are going to be contemplating. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. 
Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves, loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Great. So, would you like to make your way over to the chairs, the cushions and the pillows and make yourself comfortable? So, what we're going to do is we're going to enter the story. Um, we're going to become somebody in this story. And then um, sometimes that just gives us an opportunity to see it in a different way. So, I'd really encourage you to close your eyes and make yourself comfortable, but not so comfortable that you might fall asleep, just comfortable enough that you can um, let your imagination come alive. Um, it doesn't have to be historically accurate. You, you, you can picture this happening wherever, you know, wherever your imagination takes you. But I just encourage you not to fight it. You know, just go with whatever comes to mind. Um, and if you find yourself, um, your mind just wandering off to other things, then um, that's fine. Just, just tell yourself, oh, let's get back into the story now. But try, again, try not to fight what happens. So when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So just imagine Jesus on a boat, probably on some water, um, going to a solitary place. So he's on his own. <clears throat> and just let that picture come to mind. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So just picture the crowds now trying to find him. And at this point, enter the story <clears throat> yourself. So you might be someone in the crowd. You might be one of the disciples. You might be Jesus himself. And just put yourself in the story. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. Just let that bit of the story play out in your imagination. Jesus having compassion and healing ill people. <clears throat> and just allow your senses to kick in now. So as this scene um, is playing out with you in it, what can you hear? Just allow the volume to get turned up with this large crowd of people. What can you smell? What's the temperature like? What time of day is it? As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So just picture where they are now. Time's passed. Jesus has been healing people. 
the disciples said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he told the people to sit down on the grass. So just try and picture the number of people that might be here and the space that they're taking up, all sitting down on the grass. Picture these five loaves of bread and two fish that are being given to Jesus. How are you feeling in this story? Are you hungry? Are you tired? Are you invigorated? Have you been healed? Are you hoping for healing? Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Just picture the bread getting passed around. They're probably in baskets. And people taking as much as they wanted, as much as they needed. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So just notice the mood change in the crowd as people are now satisfied. They're full. How does the noise change? How does the feel of this place change? And picture those 12 basketfuls of bread that's left over. And the number of those who ate were 5,000 men plus women and children. So just stay in the story for another minute. And just picture as the sun's going down, people are leaving. Families are heading off now that they're full. They're chatting as they go. Kids skipping along. Or maybe some children needing to be carried because they're tired. And group by group they go. And you stay sitting on the grass. And the disciples wander off. And now it's just you and Jesus left. And Jesus sits next to you. Maybe he says something to you, or maybe you say something to him, or maybe neither of you speak. But just take a minute now, just you and Jesus.
Jesus, thank you that you speak to us today, and we pray that you will continue to speak to us and speak through other people as we spend more time together. Amen. Great. Please carry on eating. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 23 to you. Carry on eating, and then Matt's going to talk to you. So, you are awesome, Presley. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you very much, Fiona. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is undoubtedly one of the biggest miracles Jesus ever did. However, he was also doing something else. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus was living out Psalm 23. There's a few clues that we have in that passage for why that is. Firstly, in Mark's account of the feeding of the 5,000, he mentions that Jesus makes everybody sit down on the green grass. Now, I don't know if, having read through the Gospels, I don't know if you've picked up on the fact uh, that the Gospel writers don't really care about what color things are. So it's very odd that Mark would point out that it's green grass. And that's because he's trying to make the Hebrews at the time that he was writing to think back to this psalm. We also have clues within Matthew's um, account, which we heard as we were going through the gospel contemplation with Hannah. That remote place, the Greek for that remote place, actually can mean pasture in terms of a field where sheep eat. But the question then is, why is Jesus wanting those 5,000 men and untold numbers of women and children, and actually it was probably another 5,000 of them as well, so we're looking at maybe 10,000 people, why is he wanting them to think of Psalm 23? There's a few possible reasons. I wonder if there's two key ones. The first one is a, a personal one for Jesus. Having just seen, wow, having just heard of his cousin being beheaded, having been rejected at Nazareth, He's reminding himself of what he's there to do. He is this shepherd that has come to lead the flock of Israel. But he's also doing something for the public, for the people around him. He knows that times are going to get hard. They have been drawn from every corner of Israel, and soon they're going to be drawn from every corner of the world. And they need to know that they have someone looking over them. They need to know that they have someone who will lead them into green pastures where they can rest and feed, and be at peace. Because it won't be too long before Peter's being crucified upside down, before other disciples are being beheaded, before you get to where we are 2,000 years later, where actually there's many different ways that we face great difficulties walking through the valley of the shadow of death. So he wants them, at least I'm thinking as I read through this, you might disagree with me, and that's absolutely fine. Find me afterwards and tell me how I'm wrong. But he's wanting Israel to think about this psalm because he's wanting them to focus on the very first phrase. 
the Lord is my shepherd. Now, firstly, the Lord is. Is is present continuous, which for people who aren't grammar nerds like me, who spent too much time reading books, is is a present continuous means it's ongoing. It's an action that doesn't really have a start. It doesn't really have an end. It is constantly happening. So Jesus is reminding the 5,000 people that he will forever be their shepherd. No matter what they are going through, no matter what is coming to them in the future, he is their shepherd. Secondly, he's reminding them that he is their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It's one thing to be able to say that person over there generally is someone I'm attached to. It's a very different thing to say they're mine. I have them. They have me. And in particular, as we're looking at grief and a range of other things, we need to know that Jesus is ours. He's not some distant person who's looking on from afar, vaguely interested, might offer to ask how you're doing at some point. He's ours and he's watching over us. But finally also, he is their shepherd. Now in ancient times, shepherds would gather the flock across vast differences. They would have uh, their sheep coming from all different parts of the pasture lands. They would know each and every one of them in detail. They would know them by name. The sheep would understand their voice. And that's not too dissimilar to us. We've come from very different pasture lands today, whether that's if you live over in Derwentthorpe, if you live the other part of the river, though thankfully, like London, we don't have you know, north-south divide with the river, but that would be interesting. Some of us come from outside of York. Some of us come from a range of different workplaces and a range of different situations. It's important for us that we know that Jesus is our shepherd, He draws us all together. He knows individually the problems and the difficulties that we have. And he's preparing us actually to send us back out into those pasture lands. Shepherds at that time were very good. They would bring the sheep together when they needed to be fed, when they needed to be cared for. But then they would send them back out to roam because sheep in those times needed to roam. They needed to be free range. They needed to go out and explore because there were a range of different environments that they needed to be in. And it's the same with us. Jesus is our shepherd because he brings us together at places like this on Sundays, in small groups during the week, when we're just meeting up together through the daily rhythms and humdrums of life. But he's also our shepherd because he prepares us to send us out. He has pasture land ready for us, but he is also leading us through the valleys of the shadow of death. And a great many places that are specific to each and every one of us. So as we draw our evening to a close, if you look in your booklets towards the last page, there's kind of three sections. And if you would like to, have a think. What pasture land has Jesus brought you from today? And then what pasture land is Jesus going to be sending you out into? And if you would like to, ask maybe three other people. Ask them, what can you be praying for them for? as we go out back into these pasture lands, waiting for that time of rest that Jesus will back, bring us back into. And then finally, I'd encourage you, if you want to do this, take these booklets home with you today. Have those three people on your mind this week. Pray for the other members of our flock as they are out in their different pasture lands, that they would remember each day that the Lord is our shepherd and that he will make us lie down 
in green pastures.